12. Ray the Freiburg Bridge of 870 feet span, the Hammersmith Bridge of 422 feet span, and the Pest Bridge of 666 feet span. The merit of the simple suspension bridge is its cheapness, and its defect is its flexibility. This last becomes less V.04 P.0537 serious as the dead weight of the structure becomes large in proportion to the live or temporary load. It island therefore, a type specially sweet for great spans. Some suspension bridges had broken down in consequence of the oscillations produced by bodies of men marching in step. In 1850 a suspension bridge at Angers gave way when 487 soldiers were marching over it, and 226 were killed. To obtain greater stiffness various plans have been adopted. In the Ordish system a certain number of intermediate points in the span are supported by oblique chains, on which girders rest. The Ordish bridge built at Prague in 1868 had oblique chains supporting the stiffening girders at intermediate points of the span. A curved chain supported the oblique chains and kept them straight. In 1860 a bridge was erected over the Danube Canal at Vienna, of 264 feet span which had two parallel chains one above the other and four feet apart on each side of the bridge. The chains of each pair were connected by bracing so that they formed a stiff inverted arch resisting deformation under an equal loading. The bridge carried a railway, but it proved weak owing to errors of calculation, and it was taken down in 1884. The principle was sound and has been proposed at various times. About 1850 it was perceived that a bridge stiff enough to carry railway trains could be constructed by combining supporting chains with stiffening girders suspended from them. W.J.M. Ronk improved applied mechanics. Page 370 that the necessary strength of a stiffening girder would be only one-seventh part of that of an independent girder of the same span as the bridge. Sweet to carry the same moving load not including the dead weight of the girder which is supported by the chain. See, suspension bridge with stiffened roadway. My Sir G. Airy, and the discussion. Prague, Inst. CE 1867. Shh, Page 258. Also, suspension bridges with stiffening girders. My Max M. and Prague, Inst. CE Shshbi. Page 306. The most remarkable bridge constructed on this system was the Niagara Bridge built by J. A. Roebling in 1850-1855 figure 11. The span was 821 feet much the largest of any railway bridge at that time, and the height above the river 245 feet. There were four suspension cables, each 10 inches in diameter, each was composed of seven strands, containing 520 parallel wires, or 3640 wires in each cable. Each cable was carried on a separate set long rollers on each pier. The stiffening girder, constructed chiefly of timber, was a box-shaped braced girder 18 feet deep and 25 feet wide, carrying the railway on top and a roadway within. After various repairs and strengthenings, including the replacement of the timber girder by an iron one in 1880, this bridge in 1896-1897 was taken down and a steel arch built in its place. It was not strong enough to deal with the increasing weight of railway traffic. In 1836 I.K. I constructed the towers and abutments for a suspension bridge of 702 feet span at Clifton over the Avon. But the project was not then carried further, in 1860. However, the link chains of the Hungerford suspension bridge which was being taken down were available at small cost, and these were used to complete the bridge. There are three chains on each side, of one and two links alternately and these support wrought iron stiffening girders. There are wrought iron saddles and steel rollers on the piers, 
at 196 feet on either side from the towers the chains are carried over similar saddles without rollers, and thence at 45 degrees with the horizontal down to the anchorages, each chain has an anchor plate 5 feet by 6 feet, the links are 24 feet long at the center of the bridge, and longer as they are more inclined, so that their horizontal projection is 24 feet. The chains are so arranged that there is a suspending rod at each 8 feet attached at the joint of one of the three chains. For erection a suspended platform was constructed on 8 wire ropes, on which the chains were laid out and connected. Another wire rope with a traveling carriage took out the links. The sectional area of the chains is 481 square inches at the piers and 440 square inches at the center. The two stiffening girders are plate girders 3 feet deep with flanges of 11 square inches area. In addition, the hand railing on each side forms a girder 4 feet 9 inches deep, with flanges 41 to square inches area, of later bridges of great span. Perhaps the bridges over the East River at New York are the most remarkable. The Brooklyn Bridge, begun in 1872, has a center span of 15,951 to and side spans of 930 feet. The Brooklyn approach being 971 feet and the New York approach 15,621 to feet the total length of the bridge is 5989 feet. There are four cables which carry a promenade, a roadway and an electric railway. The stiffening girders of the main span are 40 feet deep and 67 feet apart. The saddles for the chains are 329 feet above high water. The cables are 153 4 inches in diameter. Each cable has 19 strands of 278 parallel steel wires, 7 BW grams. Each wire is taken separately across the river and its length adjusted. Rolling preferred parallel wires as 10 stronger than twisted wires. Each strand when made up and clamped was lowered to its position. The Williamsburg Bridge Figure 12, begun in 1897 and opened for traffic in 1903 has a span of 1600 feet a verst sign of 176 feet and a width of 118 feet. It has two decks, and carries two elevated railway tracks, four electric tramcar lines, two carriage wise, two foot wallace and two V.04P.0538 bicycle paths. There are four cables, one on each side of the two main trusses or stiffening girders. These girders are supported by the cables over the center span but not in the side spans. Intermediate piers support the trusses in the side spans. The cables are 183 4 inches in diameter, each weighs about 11 16 tons, and has a nominal braking strength of 22.320 tons, the actual braking strength being probably greater. The saddles are 332 feet above the water. The four cables support a dead load of 71 40 tons and a live load of 40 17 tons. Each cable is composed of 37 strands of 208 wires or 7696 parallel steel wires, number 8 PW grams or about 316 inches in diameter. The wire was required to have a tensile strength of 89 tons per square inches and 21 to elongation in 5 feet and 5 and 8 inches cast steel clamps hold the cable together, and to these the suspending rods are attached. The cables are wrapped in cotton duct soaked in oxidized oil and varnish, and are sheathed in sheet iron. A later bridge, the Manhattan is designed to carry four railway tracks and four tramway lines, with a wide roadway and footpaths, supported by cables 211 4 inches in diameter, each composed of 9472 galvanized steel wires 316 inches in diameter. The Tower Bridge, London Figure 13, 
is a suspension bridge with a secondary bascule bridge in the center span to permit the passage of ships. Two main towers in the river and two towers on the shore abutments carry the suspension chains. The opening bridge between the river towers consists of two leaves or bascules, pivoted near the faces of the piers and rotating in a vertical plane. When raised, the width of 200 feet between the main river piers is unobstructed up to the high-level footbridge, which is 141 feet above Trinity HW. The clear width of the two shore spans is 270 feet. The total length of the bridge is 940 feet and that of the approach is 1260 feet on the north and 780 feet on the south. The width of the bridge between parapets is 60 feet except across the center span, where it is 49 feet. The main towers consist of a skeleton of steel, enclosed in a facing of granite and Portland stone, backed with brickwork. There are two high-level footwalls for use when the bascules are raised, the main girders of which are of the cantilever and suspended girder type. The cantilevers are fixed to the shore side of the towers. The middle girders are 120 feet in length and attached to the cantilevers by links. The main suspension chains are carried across the center span in the form of horizontal ties resting on the high-level footwally girders. These ties are jointed to the hanging chains by pins 20 inches in diameter with a ring in halves surrounding it 5 inches thick. One half ring is rigidly attached to the tie and one to the hanging chain so that the wear due to any movement is distributed over the length of the pin. A rocker bearing under these pins transmits the load at the joint to the steel columns of the towers. The abutment towers are similar to the river towers. On the abutment towers the chains are connected by horizontal links, carried on rockers, to anchor ties. The suspension chains are constructed in the form of braced girders, so that they are stiff against asymmetrical loading. Each chain over a shore span consists of two segments the longer attached to the tie at the top of the river tower, the shorter to the link at the top of the abutment tower, and the two jointed together at the lowest point. Transverse girders are hung from the chains at distances of 18 feet. There are 15 main transverse girders to each shore span, with 9 longitudinal girders between each pair. The trough flooring, 3-8 inches thick and 6 inches deep, is riveted to the longitudinals. The anchor ties are connected to girders embedded in large concrete blocks in the foundations of the approach viaducts. The two bascules are each constructed with four main girders. Over the river these are lattice girders, with transverse girders 12 feet apart, and longitudinal and subsidiary transverse girders dividing the floor into rectangles 3 feet by 31 2 feet covered with buckled plates. The roadway is of pine blocks doweled. The bascules rotate through an angle of 82 degrees and their rear ends in the bascule chambers of the piers carry 365 tons of counterweight, the total weight of each being 1070 tons. They rotate on steel shafts 21 inches in diameter and 48 feet long, and the bascules can be lifted or lowered in one minute, but usually the time taken is one and a half minutes. They are worked by hydraulic machinery. 9. The iron and steel girder bridges. The main supporting members are two or more horizontal beams, girders or trusses. The girders carry a floor or platform either on top deck bridges or near the bottom through bridges. The platform is variously constructed. For railway bridges it commonly consists of cross girders, attached to or resting on the main girders, and longitudinal rail girders or stringers carried by the cross girders and directly supporting the sleepers and rails. For spans over 75 feet expansion due to change of temperature is provided for by carrying one end of each chain girder on rollers placed between the bearing plate on the girder and the bed plate on the pier or abutment. 
Figure 14 shows the roller bed of a girder of the Kuyenberg Bridge of 490 feet span. It will be seen that the girder directly rests on a cylindrical pin or rocker so placed as to distribute the load uniformly to all the rollers. The pressure on the rollers is limited to about page 600 gian pounds per in length of roller, where d is the diameter of the roller in inches. In the girders of bridges the horizontal girder is almost exclusively subjected to vertical loading forces. Investigation of the internal stresses, which balance the external forces, shows that most of the material should be arranged in a top flange, boom or cord, subjected to compression, and a bottom flange or cord, subjected to tension. See strength of materials. Connecting the flanges is a vertical web which may be a solid plate or a system of bracing bars. In any case, though the exact form of cross-section of girders varies very much, it is virtually on I-section figure 15. The function of the flanges is to resist a horizontal tension and compression distributed practically uniformly on their cross-sections. The web resists forces equivalent V.04P.0539 to a shear on vertical and horizontal planes. The inclined tensions and compressions in the bars of a braced web are equivalent to the shear. The horizontal stresses in the flanges are greatest at the center of a span. The stresses in the web are greatest at the ends of the span. In the most numerous cases the flanges or cords are parallel. But girders may have curved cords and then the stresses in the web are diminished. At first girders had solid or plate webs. But for spans over 100 feet the web always now consists of bracing bars. In some girder bridges the members are connected entirely by riveting. In others the principal members are connected by pin joints. The pin system of connection used in the Chepstow, Saltash, Newark Dyke and other early English bridges is now rarely used in Europe. But it is so commonly used in America as to be regarded as a distinctive American feature. With pin connections some weight is saved in the girders. And erection is a little easier. In early pin bridges insufficient bearing area was allowed between the pins and parts connected and they worked loose. In some cases riveted covers had to be substituted for the pins. The proportions are now better understood. Nevertheless the tendency is to use riveted connections in preference to pins, and in any case to use pins for tension members only. On the first English railways cast iron girder bridges for spans of 20 to 66 feet were used, and in some cases these were trussed with wrought iron. When in 1845 the plans for carrying the Chester and Holyhead Railway over the Mene Straits were considered, the conditions imposed by the Admiralty in the interests of navigation involved the adoption of a new type of bridge. There was an idea of using suspension chains combined with a girder, and in fact the tower piers were built so as to accommodate chains, but the theory of such a combined structure could not be formulated at that time, and it was proved, partly by experiment that a simple tubular girder of wrought iron was strong enough to carry the railway. The Britannia Bridge figure 16 has two spans of 460 and two of 230 feet at 104 feet above high water. It consists of a pair of tubular girders with solid or plate sides stiffened by angle irons. One line of rails passing through each tube. Each girder is 15-11 feet long and weighs 46-80 tons. In cross-section figure 17. It is 15 feet wide and varies in depth from 23 feet at the ends to 30 feet at the center, partly to counteract any tendency to buckling under compression and partly for convenience in assembling a great mass of plates. The top and bottom were made cellular, the cells being just large enough to permit passage for painting. The total area of the cellular top flange of the large span girders is 648 square inches and of the bottom 585 square in. 
as no scaffolding could be used for the center spans, the girders were built on shore, floated out and raised by hydraulic presses. The credit for the success of the Conway and Britannia bridges must be divided between the engineers, Robert Stevenson and William Fairbairn, and Eaton Hodgkinson, who assisted in the experimental tests and in formulating the imperfect theory then available. The Conway Bridge was first completed, and the first train passed through the Britannia Bridge in 1850. Though each girder has been made continuous over the four spans it has not quite the proportions over the piers which a continuous girder should have, and must be regarded as an imperfectly continuous girder. The spans were in fact designed as independent girders, the advantage of continuity being at that time imperfectly known. The vertical sides of the girders are stiffened so that they amount to 40 of the whole weight. This was partly necessary to meet the uncertain conditions in floating when the distribution of supporting forces was unknown and there were chances of distortion. Wrought iron and, later, steel plate web girders were largely used for railway bridges in England after the construction of the Conway and Mene bridges, and it was in the discussions arising during their design that the proper function of the vertical web between the top and bottom flanges of a girder first came to be understood. The proportion of depth to span in the Britannia Bridge was 116. But so far as the flanges are concerned the stress V.04P.0540 to be resisted varies inversely as the depth of the girder. It would be economical, therefore, to make the girder very deep. This, however, involves a much heavier web, and therefore for any type of girder there must be a ratio of depth to span which is most economical. In the case of the plate web there must be a considerable excess of material partly to stiffen it against buckling and partly because an excessive thickness must be provided to reduce the effect of corrosion. It was soon found that with plate webs the ratio of depth to span could not be economically increased beyond 115 to 112. On the other hand a framed or braced web afforded opportunity for much better arrangement of material, and it very soon became apparent that open web or lattice or braced girders were more economical of material than solid web girders, except for small spans. In America such girders were used from the first and naturally followed the general design of the earlier timber bridges. Now plate web girders are only used for spans of less than 100 feet. Three types of bracing for the web very early developed the Warren type in which the bracing bars form equilateral triangles, the whipple in which the struts are vertical and the ties inclined, and the lattice in which both struts and ties are inclined at equal angles, usually 45 degrees with the horizontal. The earliest published theoretical investigations of the stresses in bracing bars were perhaps those in the paper by W.T. Boyne and W.B. Bloodprock, Inst. C. 1851, Zy. Page 1, and the paper by J. Barton, on the economic distribution of material in the sides of wrought iron beams, Proc, Inst. C. 1855, Schiff, page 443, The Boyne Bridge, constructed by Barton in Ireland in 1854-1855, was a remarkable example of the confidence with which engineers began to apply theory in design. It was a bridge for two lines of railway with lattice girders continuous over three spans. The center span was 264 feet and the side spans 138 feet 8 inches, depth 22 feet 6 in. Not only were the bracing bars designed to calculated stresses, and the continuity of the girders taken into account, but the validity of the calculations was tested by a verification on the actual bridge of the position of the points of contrary flexure of the center span. At the calculated position of one of the points of contrary flexure all the rivets of the top boom were cut out, and by lowering the end of the girder over the side span one inch, 
the joint was opened 132 in. Then the rivets were cut out similarly at the other point of contrary flexure and the joint opened. The girder held its position with both joints severed, proving that, as should be the case, there was no stress in the boom where the bending moment changes sign. By curving the top boom of a girder to form an arch and the bottom boom to form a suspension chain, the need of web except for non-uniform loading is obviated. I.K. Brunel adopted this principle for the Saltash Bridge near Plymouth, built soon after the Britannia Bridge. It has two spans of 455 feet and 17 smaller spans, the roadway being 100 feet above high water. The top boom of each girder is an elliptical wrought iron tube 17 feet wide by 12 feet deep. The lower boom is a pair of chains, of wrought iron links, 14 in each chain, of 7 inches by 1 inch section, the links being connected by pins. The suspending rods and cross bracing are very light. The depth of the girder at the center is about one-eighth of the span. In both England and America in early braced bridges cast iron, generally in the form of tubes circular or octagonal in section, was used for compression members, and wrought iron for the tension members. Figure 19 shows the Newark Dyke Bridge on the Great Northern Railway over the Trent. It was a pin-jointed Warren girder bridge erected from designs by C.M. Weld in 1851-1853. The span between supports was 259 feet the clear span 24012 feet, depth between joint pins 16 feet. There were four girders, two to each line of way. The top flange consisted of cast iron hollow castings butted end to end, and the struts were of cast iron. The lower flange and ties were flat wrought iron links. This bridge has now been replaced by a stronger bridge to carry the greater loads imposed by modern traffic. Figure 20 shows a think truss, a characteristic early American type, with cast iron compression and wrought iron tension members. The bridge is a deck bridge, the railway being carried on top. The transfer of the loads to the ends of the bridge by V.04P.0541 long ties is uneconomical, and this type has disappeared. The Warren type, either with two sets of bracing bars or with intermediate verticals, affords convenient means of supporting the floor girders. In 1869 a bridge of 390 feet span was built on this system at Louisville. Amongst remarkable American girder bridges may be mentioned the Ohio Bridge on the Cincinnati and Covington Railway, which is probably the largest girder span constructed. The center span is 550 feet and the side spans 490 feet center to center of piers. The girders are independent polygonal girders. The center girder has a length of 545 feet and a depth of 84 feet between pin centers. It is 67 feet between parapets, and carries two lines of railway, two carriageways, and two footways. The cross girders, stringers and wind bracing are wrought iron, the rest of mild steel. The bridge was constructed in 1888 by the Phoenix Bridge Company, and was erected on staging. The total weight of iron and steel in three spans was about 5,000 tons. 10. E. Can't Laver Bridges. It has been stated that if in a girder bridge of three or more spans, the girders were made continuous there would be an important economy of material, but that the danger of settlement of the supports, which would seriously alter the points of contrary flexure or points where the bending moment changes sign, and therefore the magnitude and distribution of the stresses, generally prevents the adoption of continuity. If However, hinges or joints are introduced at the points of contrary flexure. They become necessarily points where the bending moment is zero and ambiguity as to the stresses vanishes. The exceptional local conditions at the site of the fourth bridge led to the adoption there of the cantilever system. Till then little considered, 
Now it is well understood that in many positions this system is the simplest and most economical method of bridging. It is available for spans greater than those practicable with independent girders, in fact. On this system the spans are virtually reduced to smaller spans so far as the stresses are concerned. There is another advantage which in many cases is of the highest importance. The cantilevers can be built out from the piers, member by member, without any temporary scaffolding below, so that navigation is not interrupted. The cost of scaffolding is saved, and the difficulty of building in deep water is obviated. The center girder may be built on the cantilevers and rolled into place or lifted from the water level. Figure 21 shows a typical cantilever bridge of American design. In this case the shore ends of the cantilevers are anchored to the abutments. J.A.L. Waddell has shown that, in some cases, it is convenient to erect simple independent spans. By building them out as cantilevers and converting them into independent girders after erection, Figure 22 shows girders erected in this way, the dotted lines being temporary members during erection, which are removed afterwards. The side spans are erected first on staging and anchored to the piers. From these, by the aid of the temporary members, the center span is built out from both sides. The most important cantilever bridges so far erected or projected are as follows. 1. The fourth bridge figure 23. The original design was for a stiffened suspension bridge. But after the fall of the Tay Bridge in 1879 this was abandoned. The bridge, which was begun in 1882 and completed in 1889, is at the only narrowing of the fourth in a distance of 50 meters at a point where the channel, about a mile in width, is divided by the island of Inchgarvey. The length of the cantilever bridge is 53-30 feet made up thus, central tower on Inchgarvey 260 feet, Fife and Queens the repairs each 145 feet two central girders between cantilevers each 350 feet, and six cantilevers each 680 feet. The two main spans are each 1710 feet. The clear headway is 157 feet and the extreme height of the tower is above high water 361 feet. The outer ends of the shore cantilevers are loaded to balance half the weight of the central girder, the rolling load, and 200 tons in addition. An internal viaduct of lattice girders carries a double line of rails. Provision is made for longitudinal expansion due to change of temperature, for distortion due to the sun acting on one side of the structure, and for the wind acting on one side of the bridge. The amount of steel used was 38.000 tons exclusive of approach viaducts. See the fourth bridge, by W. West Huffin, reports of the British Association 1884 and 1885, by 4th Bruick, von G. in Berlin, 1889, the fourth bridge. By Philip Phillips 1890, Vernon Harcourt, Prague, Inst. C. E. Page 309. To the Niagara Bridge of a total length of 910 feet for two lines of railway. Clear span between towers 495 feet completed in 1883, and more recently strengthened Prague, Inst. C. E. V. I. Page 18. And Kshif. Page 331. 3. The Lansdowne Bridge completed 1889 at Sucker. Over the Indus, the clear span is 790 feet and the suspended girder 200 feet in length. The span to the centers of the end uprights is 820 feet, width between centers of main uprights at bed plate 100 feet and between centers of main members at end of cantilevers 20 feet. The bridge is for a single line of railway of 5 feet 6 inches gauge. The back guys are the most heavily strained part of the structure. The stress provided for being 1200 tons. This is due to the half weight of center girder, the weight of the cantilever itself, the rolling load on half the bridge, 
and the wind pressure. The anchors are built up of steel plates and angle, bars, and are buried in a large mass of concrete. The area of each anchor plate, normal to the line of stress, is 32 feet by 12 feet. The bridge was designed by Sir A. Randall, the consulting engineer to the Indian government proc. Inst. CECI. Page 123. For the Red Rock Cantlaver Bridge over the Colorado River, with a center span of 660 feet 5 the Poughkeepsie Bridge over the Hudson, built 1886-1887. There are five river and two shore spans. The girders over the second and fourth spans are extended as cantilevers over the adjoining spans. The shore piers carry cantilevers projecting one way over the river openings and the other way over a shore span where it is secured to an anchorage. The girder spans are 525 feet the cantilever spans 547 feet and the shore spans 201 feet 6 the Quebec Bridge figure 25 over the St. Lawrence, which collapsed while in course of construction in 1907. This bridge, connecting very important railway systems, was designed to carry two lines of rails, a highway and electric railway on each side, all between the main trusses, length between abutments 30 to 40 feet. V.04P.054 to channel span 1800 feet, suspended span 675 feet, shore spans 5621 feet total weight of metal about 32.000 tons. 7 The Jubilee Bridge over the Hudley, designed by Sir Bradford Leslie, is a cantilever bridge of another type figure 26. The girders are of the Whipple-Morphy type, but with curved top booms. The bridge carries a double line of railway, between the main girders. The central double cantilever is 360 feet long. The two side span girders are 420 feet long. The cantilever rests on two river piers 120 feet apart. Center to center. The side girders rest on the cantilevers on 15 inches pins. In pendulum links suspended from similar pins in saddles 9 feet high. 11. F. Mellorch Bridges. The first iron bridge erected was constructed by John Wilkinson 1728-1808 and Abraham Darby 1750-1791 in 1773-1779 at Colbrookdale over the Severn figure 27. It had five cast iron arch ribs with a center span of 100 feet. This curious bridge is still in use. Sir B. Baker stated that it had required patching for 90 years, because the arch and the high side arches would not work together. Expansion and contraction broke the high arch and the connections between the arches. When it broke they fished it. Then the bolts sheared or the ironwork broke in a new place. He advised that there was nothing unsafe. It was perfectly strong and the stress in vital parts moderate. All that needed to be done was to fish the fractured ribs of the high arches. Put oval holes in the fishes. And not screw up the bolts too tight. Cast iron arches of considerable span were constructed late in the 18th and early in the 19th century. The difficulty of casting heavy arch ribs led to the construction of cast iron arches of cast voussoirs, somewhat like the voussoirs of masonry bridges. Such a bridge was the Warmouth Bridge, designed by Roland Burdon and erected in 1793-1796, with a span of 235 feet South Wark Bridge over the Thames, designed by John Rennie with cast iron ribs and erected in 1814-1819 has a center span of 240 feet and a rise of 24 feet. In Paris the Austerlitz 1800-1806 and Carousel 1834-1836 bridges had cast iron arches. In 1858 an aqueduct bridge was erected at Washington by M.C. Miggs 1816-1892. This had two arch ribs formed by the cast iron pipes through which the water passed. 
The pipes were 4 feet in diameter inside, 11 to inches thick, and were lined with staves of pine 3 inches thick to prevent freezing. The span was 200 feet figure 28 shows one of the wrought iron arches of a bridge over the Rhine at Koblenz. The bridge consists of three spans of about 315 feet each, of large span bridges with steel arches. One of the most important is the St. Louis Bridge over the Mississippi, completed in 1874 figure 29. The river at St. Louis is confined to a single channel, 1600 feet wide, and in a freshet in 1870 the scour reached a depth of 51 feet Captain J.B. Eads, the engineer. Determined to establish the piers and abutments on rock at a depth for the east pier and east abutment of 136 feet below high water. This was effected by caissons with their chambers and airlocks, a feat unprecedented in the annals of engineering. The bridge has three spans, each formed of arches of cast steel. The center span is 520 feet and the side spans 502 feet in the clear. The rise of the center arch is 471 2 feet and that of the side arch is 46 feet. Each span has four steel double ribs of steel tubes butted and clasped by wrought iron couplings. The vertical bracing between the upper and lower members of each rib, which are 12 feet apart, center to center, consolidates them into a single arch. The arches carry a double, 